listening to the David Kerr Projects podcast. My name is Elise De Beer, here based at David Kerr Projects Cape Town. And today we're talking to artist Matthew Henley. Matthew, welcome. Hi there. <laughs> so you first came and worked in our workshop in Johannesburg in Feb 2016. So it's kind of nice. It kind of marks now almost three years of us collaborating together, yeah. us working together. And how have you found the experience working in the printmaking workshop and working with the printmakers? So when I first got to Joburg, I had an idea that we were going to be doing monotypes. And it was so interesting to kind of discover that that wasn't my true kind of love in the yeah. printing realm. I was really mm. surprised. So the whole experience of the first week was a big learning curve in terms of just kind of getting used to the, the studio itself and all the people yeah. who work there and also trying to find a voice in that environment and being interested by the process of having to prepare something before the market's made on paper. You know, yes. as, an, as a painter, drawer, you're, it's immediate one-to-one relationship yeah. and having to prepare and then to peel the paper off in the sort of mystical yeah. <laughs> unveiling of the image I found really exciting mm-hmm. and, and quite different to, yes. to painting so I really enjoyed it yeah because I think it's it's always been great for us as an organization to bring in artists who aren't necessarily printmakers or their main kind of area of focus isn't printmaking for your example of this being a painter and how did you find the transition between your painting to putting it into print I found it really, really interesting and um, and really challenging because I think the essential thing that I had to change was in a kind of painterly realm, you're working more in blocks of color and in mm. shapes of color. And with these works, it returned me to drawing and to line work. And I wouldn't actually, I think, have done that if I hadn't done that that printing experience at, at David Crouch. Yeah. I wouldn't have gone in that direction and, and it kind of woke up my love of drawing again and my love of line work that I'd sort of forgotten about in, in mm. painting. So it's nice, so. it kind of took you back to those basics of drawing exactly, and, and mark yeah. making, yeah. which I think printmaking is so rooted in to be able to do those dry points. And even when you're working with monotypes, even if you can work painterly, you're still kind of rooted within drawing. With, yeah, exactly. And you'd think because coming from painting to printmaking that monotypes would be the, the easiest for you to work with. Were they or kind of which technique did you prefer working with in the print studio? So, yeah, I mean, I really preferred working in dry point mm-hmm. and in line work than in the monotypes. The first thing that disappointed me about the monotypes was um, that thing of reticulation yes. on the surface. So you don't get um, where I wanted a, a field of, of color. Mm. I could I could only get like a kind of a spotty yeah. layer. And so we actually started doing two or three plate monotypes, mm. which you're not actually technically supposed to do yeah. or allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone at the studio was like, what's going to happen? It's like kind of new mm. ground. I think that's yeah, always um, so exciting for us is because just kind of you coming as a painter with your knowledge and your kind of expectation of what you want it to be. It's great for us because it gets to challenge our idea of printmaking. So I yeah. think that's always really fun for us, having artists there, is that they challenge us and we get to challenge them in those ways. So did you enjoy the dry point just because it was taking you back to that line work and just kind of back to drawing? Is that kind of the main reason? It wasn't like I had those reasons in my mind when it was just the actual experience of doing mm. it and then seeing the print and yeah. immediately I just loved the print. Mm. I didn't feel that when I did the dry points. I wasn't like, I was like, um, let's try this and let's try that. Mm. But the dry point, which Jill just gave me a small plate and yeah. she was just like on the last day, just, you know, just, just try, try it out. Down. And then um, the way it came out with the smokiness of the line mm-hmm. and the kind of atmosphere of dry point, I was just sort of spellbound like yeah. right, straight away. 
And I think that was the experience in the workshop. Everyone was like, wow, like, this is really completely unexpected. And, yeah. I, and it, yeah, so I love it when, so when that happens. So your love for Drive Point was born. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> Not that I'd hate monotype. I actually think that those monotypes came out really beautifully. Mm. I think we put a lot of work in and the, and the layering of the color is really intense, I think. And I love the color. So how has printmaking techniques now influenced your painting? Or have they? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've kind of been... In, in my recent show uh, in Joburg, Ruinlust, I think it was extremely influenced by my time at the, at the workshop. workshop. Specifically, like in terms of line work and in terms of mark making and in terms of the layering of transparency onto, um, like transparent colors onto, onto marks as a way of constructing an image. So I think I've been very influenced and, and my direction of work has actually changed quite a bit because of working in the studio. Oh, which I was yeah really surprised by, actually. Mm. I didn't expect it. Um. And so it's very exciting because we're going to be opening your next solo exhibition um, on the 22nd of Feb at Devaker Projects in Parkwood. We're going to be including the Ruin Last prints and then the monotypes. Can you tell me a bit more about the Ruin Last kind of the dry points that you were doing and the imagery and the thought process behind the works? Yeah, so I think that um, it was a particular interest or phase that I that I was kind of exploring, and I think as an as an artist, I kind of give myself the freedom to go down different tangents and kind yeah. of explore like multiple languages I think that's wonderful. simultaneously. I've been encouraged by you know collectors and patrons and in myself as well. Like I want to kind of really learn all the time. So what I was really exploring was the contrast between the sort of extreme beauty of some of the like violent images that we're seeing on the news and also that we see in, in media and in, and in movies, this kind of excitement and thrill and just sort of visual kind of stunningness of, of like massive explosions, yeah. you know, which is... I think we're also so used to seeing them. Every person, I think even today, if you scroll through a news feed, you're going to see some type of ruin, some type of explosion. Exactly. Mm. And it's actually from like social media and from scrolling through my phone and through my newsfeed that I kind of came up yeah. upon this because I, I started getting so numb to the images that I started thinking, wow, that's really pretty. That's like really beautiful. Mm. And then I was like, what's going on? And, yeah. and, and I think the problem, the technical problem that I had was trying to um, recreate those images um, in painting. So before I came to David Crewett, I was trying to explore those images, but I was mm -hmm. doing it in a, in, a, in a painterly way. So I was blocking color. And I was creating forms through kind of big areas of, of, of light and shade. And once that dry point came out, um, the, the idea of creating it with line, with especially those massive billowing clouds of smoke, yes. using um, the, the cross-hatching and, mm -hmm. and, and the forms of lines to create them was kind of a, a breakthrough. And then I took that back to Cape Town and then I came straight back mm -hmm. into, my, into my painting. It's interesting. I think it's kind of the, an artist's mind working. You kind of look, when you say you're looking at images on your phone of those ruins and the smoke is that we start, you start to see the aesthetic in it. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of like those puffs of smoke where it's this really violent situation, but you see see the odd beauty in those puffs of smoke and, and I think you've translated that really well and I think also just in the use of color in those prints it kind of brings that bit of smoke in that ruin more to life emphasizes its beauty in it which I think worked quite well thank you and what have you been working on at the moment in your studio so I was inspired again kind of through possibly through Instagram at, at least um yeah I'm trying to explain how, how I got to this point but I, I decided to return to to doing portraits mm -hmm. and to doing figurative paintings I started you know I haven't painted figures for about two years and I went down this kind of ruin lust um, journey and this um, investigation of um, the things that we've been discussing mm -hmm. 
what I found was that in all of the in all of the work that I had made, these new kind of lines that I'd been creating and the, these new um, sort of marks that that were now in my vocabulary, they were kind of scattered all through my studio on on the studio walls, like you've seen. And yeah. I, I became so kind of intrigued by the beauty of those leftover marks, mm. and they can still directly you know influenced by what I was doing in the studio but in this kind of really roundabout way just having I was just interested in painting figures in 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 my studio really just kind of coming back to portraiture in a very like simple kind of clean and unstaged undramatic very kind of direct observation of people because I know you were saying um when we're in your studio is that you're approaching these portraits more from a drawing perspective while you're painting yeah. rather than focusing on these blocks of colours, but rather blinking again to you being a bit more focusing on line and drawing. The one thing, I've, just the kind of strangeness of you know, calling it portraits is true in one sense, mm-hmm. that they are portraits of, of a person, but there's always, I think, this tussle when you're painting someone between um, idealisation of that person or of a human being yes. and then also like the actual person that you're painting. But then also, you know, with these works, it's been a kind of very strange experience of almost seeing different people's faces passing through the face as, mm-hmm. I'm, as I'm making it. So sometimes, like, I'll see, like, someone else's face yes. in there, like people that I know. Start to kind like of emerge from face. it, yeah. Yeah, it's really a strange thing. So I feel like these are portraits for sure, but mm-hmm. they're also quite... They kind of start to embody... Iconicized, yeah. 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 Um, and do you paint these portraits from live models, or do you take photographs and work from the photographs? I, I take photographs, yeah, in the studio. Mm-hmm. I find it um, easier to decide on the, on the pose that I'm working with and also I don't like to spend too much time in physical contact with um, the people that I'm painting okay yeah and why is that it's just easier for me if it's um if I don't have a personal relationship with them and they're not watching me make this Mm. painting of them and also um it's just it's like simpler for me yes my energy is more complicated yeah 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 I I get too distracted by another human Mm. being so so, yeah it's also a thing of a sense of responsibility to them Mm. that you have if they're there in the room like with you and just to give our listeners some context with these paintings is that they're large scale and um, paintings, um, sometimes one model, sometimes two. But I think one of the most interesting parts of these paintings is that you've included the leftover brush marks that are sitting on your studio walls while, you, while you've been painting. You've kind of been adding, whilst cleaning the brush and adding these beautiful abstract marks to them, very spontaneous marks, very colourful marks. So the exhibition that's opening on the 22nd, we're including your prints that you've made in the workshop, but we're also going to be including a few of the the preliminary drawings for prints that you're going to be making in the um, workshop to come. And they link very closely to these portraiture paintings that you've been doing. Can you tell us a bit about your approach to them? How would you like to see them kind of develop into prints? Are you excited for it? I think it's going to be really lovely. Yeah, I'm super excited for it. And to be honest, um, I don't have much of an approach like I don't because of last time and because of actually every time I've gone to the studio there you know on Monday morning you arrive with a certain idea of what's how it's going to turn out all I'm trying to do now is to just investigate the forms that I want to work with mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to leave like all the kind of technical visualization you know to when I actually get yes. there because at the moment I don't really know like how how, did, how they should turn out so I'm mm-hmm. kind of looking more at scale at the scale of the figures mm-hmm. um, because with this kind of work, the, the size of the figure in on, on the page is really important. Yes. So I'm really trying to figure out crops and, and sizing and, mm. and if I even want to do these figures as prints, you know, mm. I'm still kind of like exploring at the yes. moment. Yes. 
But I think it's it's going to be really great to see how they might translate into prints. And yeah. I think it's what's been interesting that I've kind of seen this pattern with your paintings. They start to then influence your prints and your prints start to influence your paintings. And now your paintings influencing more prints. So I think yeah. it's, I'm very excited to see what influences what next and... But I think these, and the listeners can see these images kind of at, at the exhibition, but we'll also kind of pop a few of the images online. And they have, I think they really have a lot of potential. I mean, you've had your love for the dry points, and I think you um, you said you really wanted to start working with a bit of working with acid, using a bit of hard grounds and soft grounds. Um, so there's a lot of room for to play around. I think the biggest thing is going to be color or no color. Yes. I think that's what I'm really struggling mm-hmm. with now, It's trying to decide that. That. And I think just speaking of the color, because I think your work through the years has mostly been very focused on color. Yeah. Your use of it. And I think because last year that you took a big change in your studio with your approach to color because you've painted your studio in burnt amber. And um, what's your raw amber. raw amber, raw amber? Where did the idea come from and how has it kind of influenced your use of color? Yeah. So a few months ago, I got a call from um, a painter friend. Mm-hmm. We have a, you know, I've got a small community of, of painters that we discussed the kind of esoteric um, aspects yeah. <laughs> of, of painting quite joyfully. Pete Eastman, the um, you know, he's a, yes. an amazing, amazing artist, and he called me in like great excitement, saying, "You just like you've got it, you've got to try this, you've got it, you've got to get." In his research, he'd found out that Lucian Freud had painted his mm-hmm. studio this raw amber color, and he was describing like how it makes all the colors in the whole studio just kind of pop completely mm. differently. And he was saying like, you pick up like a baseball bat or a pencil crayon and um, it just glows in a different yeah. way. And um, so I didn't really know like exactly what he was talking mm. about, but I decided to, to trust him and try it. And um, it's really been a complete like re- revelation in terms of, um, of color, yeah. color management and, and seeing, you know, what a color actually is right from the start. I mean, we've kind of discussed it a little bit, but I think we've come to this point um, in our studios where the studio almost matches the gallery. Yes. And the gallery, cool thing for mm-hmm. the galleries is the white cube. Mm-hmm. And so we think, or, or for some reason, that's just become the kind of default. I think it's the default art school um, environment, yes. wall color, and it just a kind of basic white. But I think that what it does is it kind of, blows out all the other colors especially when you are starting a painting so the very first bits of color that you put down if you're working on a white canvas with a white wall are always invariably going to be wrong because you you, you're trying to push against all the white that's that's all around you that's almost blinding you but if you have a background of raw umber, the color immediately is perfect mm. that, that you mix if you're in that color environment. Lose your sensitivity to it. And I know you're also saying that it's sped up your process in terms of your painting. Absolutely. It saved time and it saved reworking um, areas. And it's amazing. It's almost like a kind of magic magic trick of, of color. Mm. So you have your, your studio walls this color. Do you also paint your canvas this color before painting? Yeah. At the moment, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. But I mean, you can see the difference quite strongly. I mean, on the one side of your studio, you have it painted that color. And on the other, you just still have it the plain white. And you can just, your eye is just more lured into um, the paintings and the drawings when it's on that umber. And the white is just so harsh. So I can really see the difference it makes to your sensitivity of color. And it might even be interesting to kind of explore that when you're working on your prints, you know, if you choose to kind of work with the color, I mean, see how, well, how that just dumbing down of the white can help play around with color usage. Yeah, that's an amazing idea. It's a really good idea. It's so interesting to me how just a simple color change can 
impact your work in such a positive way. And, you know, the, the other thing is that your sensitivity to white becomes so amazing because within white, there's like so many variations of warm and cool yes. and gray and creamy, but um, you you don't see them when your studio is white. Mm -hmm. and, and the hardest, because I'm painting a white wall in the painting that yes. I'm making, <laughs> to get that white, I can't mm -hmm. do it against the white wall. I have mm -hmm. to do it against the warmer wall. But also in terms of color, and I'm not sure if this is completely true, but when I went to Joburg and worked in that workshop, I noticed that that workshop is almost entirely monochromatic. Yes. Because of, I mean, probably yeah. <laughs> William Kentridge, but also Deborah Bell is quite mm. monochromatic, and so is Stephen Hobbs. Yes. Um, so there's a very much a feeling of black and white up there, and that's also, I think, why I wanted to push color into the workshop, mm. because I felt like I wanted to see more color, but I'm not sure if there's a thing between yeah, Cape Town and I Joburg on um it's always, I think with with printmaking, especially when we're working with dry points, your acids, I mean, traditionally, it's always kind of more rooted in its black and white, its right. monochrome. Yeah. But I know that of recent, we've been doing a lot more watercolor monotypes and we were mixing our own watercolors, which has been really exciting really? for us. Oh, that's amazing. And to learn, Phil Sanders um, has come in and taught us quite a really wonderful things. So we've got now a little station where we grind up our own watercolors. Oh. Um, so that's been really exciting okay. for us. And I think we have been pushing color a lot more. I mean, we're working with artists such as you, such as um, Mongezi, and trying to get more color into it, which I think we should do because it's quite exciting. And I think we now also have a few more. Um, we're also working with paints of Quinton Williams. Okay. So also just pushing some more color. So I think that's great for us and challenging our kind of color usage as well, um, which is important. And I think it's been exciting for us to mm. do these kind of preliminary drawings coming up and like the exhibition. Do you have any advice for creatives and maintaining their creativity? And I mean, you're an artist that I, th I think it's wonderful you're continuously working. And do you have any advice with regards to that to young artists? I think the only advice I can give in terms of keeping working is to keep yourself interested in mm -hmm. what you're doing and to continually, I mean, it sounds cheesy to say challenge yourself, but I think it's really important in terms of a creative process to, to keep pushing what you're doing and to keep following little trails and tracks. Like mm -hmm. I kind of think of them like breadcrumbs. There's also a a painter giving an analogy of mining, like, yeah. you know, you mine a seam and you get all the gold from that mm -hmm. section and then you've got to go somewhere else and then you come back. It's you, you, but you have to keep that spark of interest, I think. Yeah. Like that's just for me, that's what I do. And that's what, that's how I stay, that's how I stay working is I almost give myself the things that I want to paint, mm. try and think about what I would like to do. And then I do that. Yes. So to I kind just of keep do that momentum. I, yeah. Yeah. I kind of, because I think if you feel like you're just producing stuff like for a market mm. or I don't know, you're repeating yourself because you think that you're supposed to do that at, I, don't know. I, I think that that links really well to what you were saying earlier is that with your ruin lust it's kind of like that's what you were interested in then I think choosing different themes the entire time and I think rather than sticking painting the same thing over and over push yourself do what you find interesting and if it changes from painting ruins to painting portraits you know it's still it's progress which yeah. I think is really good Absolutely. And, and what's interesting is if you keep working, you start to see these things that you didn't think were there. Like you see links between different projects or different yes. works and different paintings. And you kind of start to see narratives that you almost didn't consciously set into mm -hmm. place, but are, but are somehow there. Yeah.
because you know the person is still making it's still essentially the person who's making the work it's always there yes so i think that's the constant part about is your own mind is still still present still there present. yeah, yeah. And the, the artist's hand <laughs> yeah and maybe there's some colors that you love or there's mm. a feeling that you love and, and that comes through that comes through yeah but thank you so much matthew for coming in and is there anything um that's coming up um, any other shows that you're a part of that's coming up soon? Yeah, so the next big show after the David Crit in, in Joburg is going to be um, a solo with Circa Gallery uh, with Everard Reed in, oh, in Cape Town. And that'll be in October, I believe. Oh, great. And hopefully um, some of the new etchings and some of the new work mm-hmm. that is made in Joburg can also form, form a part of form that part solo. Of that. And at this point, I think it will be a show of paintings of people, but... That's still open for interpretation. Oh, great. No, but thanks. I think we'll definitely keep listeners up to date with the exhibitions and the work you're doing. We'll put a link in the description below with your free Instagram, which I absolutely love. So everyone can keep up to date. But thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Thanks.